This is Top Landing Gear. Welcome to Top Landing Gear Full Flaps and our full-length interview with the man who won the 1969 Daily Mail Transatlantic Air Race. It was staged to mark the 50th anniversary of Alcock and Brown's first ever non-stop transatlantic flight in 1919. Only this time, the contestants had to race between the top of the Empire State Building in New York and the top of the Post Office Tower in London in either direction. There were actually more than 20 categories, but Lieutenant Commander Peter Goddard was by far the fastest of all of them, crossing the Atlantic from west to east as an observer in a Royal Navy Phantom in a record-breaking time of 4 hours 56 minutes to claim the Vickers Alcock and Brown Trophy. It's an extraordinary story. Much of it scarcely believable another 50 years or so down the line and was probably one of the last ever great aviation adventures. Peter, we are so thrilled that you've agreed to come on to Top Landing Gear. And this is a story that I've wanted to cover since we started Top Landing Gear. And can I just say, I was at school next door to Wisley Airfield and I heard you all week. And so I hold you personally responsible for my rather poor academic qualifications. <laughs> I saw you waving. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Peter, it is one of those stories. I suspect something like this will probably never happen again. But how did you get involved? How were you selected to be a member of the, the Fleet Air Arm team? We really need to go back, I think, from the actual race date, Rob, to why did the Navy actually fly go in the race? Mm. Because if we hadn't had the Phantom we probably wouldn't have entered. So what had actually started in about the early 1960s was a whole range of people that were gonna join the Phantom Squadron when we got the aircraft, flew out to America and actually flew with the American Training Squadron that had just got the Phantom. Oh. So up until between 62 and 68, a number of aircrew went through training there and indeed train the Americans as well. And then we had the sort of caucus of what could be a team that could take on this race. So when we formed up as a squadron in uh, early 68, we then decided to try and apply for the Daily Mail Air Race. And the numbers were pretty restrictive. So I can't say I especially selected. <laughs> there are only a few of us. So, <laughs> Well, because the, yeah, because the Phantom was so new, only so recently in service. We were still collecting new aircraft even as we applied to join the race. Where was the, where had the training taken place in America? We went to San Diego, Miramar. Oh, it was on Miramar. Which is a naval base there. And they did us very proud. And we actually paid for our time there because we joined the training team. We had to train them. Okay. <laughs> so, so it worked out well. So that was really what drew the aeroplane and the people together. 
And in terms of, I mean, it was a massive operation. The Royal Navy's part in this race was massive in itself, wasn't it? Because you had three teams of phantoms that were going to compete in this race. But obviously, being a supersonic aircraft, it wasn't going to get across the pond in one go. So you then had to have RAF tankers to refuel. But it wasn't just during the race itself. There was all the preparation and, and rehearsing that went into it beforehand. I think, weren't you doing flights to just try and work out what your actual fuel burn rate would be and all that kind of stuff? You're absolutely right, Rob. At the start, we'd only done a few supersonic trips and we were in the squadron we'd formed were doing justice. We'd flying from A to B at different speeds and different heights, trying to work out how much fuel we used. So the seven, up and down the seven, we would see phantoms going in both directions, supersonic, subsonic, and then trying to join up with each other, which was quite fun. <laughs> <laughs> and was this, was this purely practising for the race or was this actually a genuine part of uh, working up to, to crewing the phantom because it was a new aircraft? No, this was, this was all part of what we'd had to have done anyway uh -huh. in terms of people learning the aircraft learning its performance capabilities, how much it could do and what it could do. And as a little adjunct there, we also act as a sort of the aircraft with the uh, Concorde, because that went up and down the seven. Mm -hmm. and we were the only one that could keep up with it. So we, had, <laughs> we had the odd lip for that. So it was very, it was very much an excellent training regime. And um, was this the first supersonic aircraft that the, the, the Royal Navy had had? The, yes, we had aircraft, we had uh, scimitars and sea vixens, which were nearly supersonic. Mm -hmm. And, of course, the Air Force, as you well know, uh, James, yep. had had things like the Lightning and yep. what have you, which were just bullets. You switched <laughs> the engine on and it went straight, <laughs> but very fast. Yeah. And, Peter, how did you, uh, what was your progression through the fleet air arm from, from joining to getting onto a Phantom? Um, well, I joined to fly as of back in '55, and uh, and then we progressed flying through various types of aircraft, starting with a Firefly, and then working up through. Um, I originally went off to Sky Raiders and did a couple of years, uh, four years with Sky Raiders, then into Venoms, uh, and uh, then across the Sea Vixen, then finally into the uh, Phantom. You missed out on the whole rotary world, which you, you you've done well at. I miss I miss my I miss my forte. There, Obviously, yes, so. <laughs> it's something you'll probably look back on with regret for the rest of your life. I imagine. <laughs> I can I can see why they sit you at the back. <laughs> Quite right. Absolutely. Even that's too close, to be honest, with you, Peter. <laughs> so to get onto a Phantom Squadron was that the absolute sort of. Uh, the the pinnacle of of a uh, 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 Royal Navy pilot's career. I I think um, yes, we uh, it was certainly the most capable aeroplane. It's certainly the most fast uh, fastest aeroplane, um, and of course it was the last aeroplane in the fleet era, hmm. because then we had the jump jets temporarily, um, and unfortunately then they petered out. And now we're just coming back to our own again with the two new carriers. Mm -hmm. And, of course, the lightning again. Yes. Right. yes. And, yeah. and why, what, did you, why did you choose the Fleet Air Arm rather than the Royal Air Force? Um, I 
I, I wanted to fly, but I actually quite liked the idea of the Navy. So I knew a chap who was in the fleet air arm and he sort of persuaded me, get the best of both worlds. And it, it, it worked out very well. Mm-hmm. I can see why people want to only fly. Mm-hmm. I had the choice then of being in ships as well as in the aircraft. So it was good. Amazing. And did, did it take you across the world, Peter? It took me all around the world. I was in the first aircraft carrier that went round the world in Albion. Wow. Um, this is back at the end of the 50s. Um, and that was that was real fun. So we went all the way around. Wow. Boy. What was that? What aircraft did you have then? I was flying in Sky Raiders then. They were an American airplane yeah. with a great big radar dish underneath them. <laughs> Yeah. And so uh, it, it was it was fun, but I decided I want to go a little faster. I did about a I did about 150. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A little bit too quick. Was the Phantom an absolute dream to fly? Uh all the pilots I flew with loved it. Yeah. And it was it was a very maneuverable airplane, but it was a very heavy airplane. Remember bear in mind we had relatively small aircraft carriers. Um I flew with up whilst I was in America. I, we used to take the learner pilots there on board the carriers. And over a space of four days, we got them qualified in a Phantom a night and day flying. And those aircraft, you could almost get out and walk alongside the airplane as it went down the catapult. <laughs> in hours, you only had to cough and you were at the end of it. Yes. <laughs> I mean, Peter, you were a, an observer, which is also, I guess, navigator. Uh, I guess weapons yeah. as well. Is it when you're sitting in the back yeah. seat? Yeah. So yeah. there's it, a lot of and all the radar associated with it. Of yeah. course. What's it like being in the back seat? A on a, a catapult takeoff of a carrier, but B landing, particularly a Phantom into onto a carrier. I, I think must be quite exciting. It's quite exciting. You actually, of course, have total reliance on that chap in the front. Yes. Uh, but it, it was a much better aeroplane from the point of view of it. Um, you could see out. Mm. The aeroplane I'd flown before, the Civix, and you sat in the dark totally. Mm. And so from that point of view, it was, uh, it was good to have a phantom where you could look out and it could be useful for the flying. Certainly in air combat, um, you could be watching out for... The Air Force, who were always trying to attack us. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yes. But it was, it, so from that point of view, two air, two people, one airplane, very fast. Yeah, it was like the navigators in the in the cameras who were just stuffed down inside the nose. It, I mean, it, was it quite an unpleasant experience in, in the Sea Vixen? Or are you so kind of tuned into your radar scope and everything else that actually it, 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 it's all right? But it, it, it strikes me as a really nasty position to have to be in. <laughs> It wasn't the best. I no. could think of others, Rob, where I'd prefer to fly him. But in fact, a lot of people liked it. It was a very reliable aeroplane. Yeah. Although it had a very bad history for flying on carriers. Oh, mm. did it? They lost, they lost an awful lot of them. Mm. Um, they were very big aeroplanes flying on very small carriers. Yeah. So from that point of view, it, it wasn't good news. But uh, it was a nice aeroplane. And how did you get onto the Phantoms? What, what was your sort of career... Well, well, I was flying the Sea Vixen when they started picking the first people to go to America to fly the, the Phantom. And I was fortunate to be in a group that was available to go to America. Yeah. So uh, we went as a crew at a time, a pilot and, a, and an observer. 
went out there and the US sent a, a crew back to UK to fly in the Phantom, in the Sea Vixen. They didn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> and they, they must gave up even, flying even, the Phantom and it, came to fly a Sea Vixen. Even they then, they they, were, <laughs> got a fair swap. They <laughs> must have almost laughed at the size of our carriers because they've always gone about four yeah. or five times bigger than, than anything we've, we've ever put out. They were huge. Yeah. They were really huge. They, the catapults were over twice as long as ours. Yeah. And, of course, you could actually almost taxi up to the wires in the, in the American carrier. Yeah. Here, your first wires were within a few hundred feet of the back of the ship. Makes you better uh, flyers, Peter, doesn't it? <laughs> makes you what? Makes the Brits better flyers. <laughs> the Brits were better flyers, of course they were. <laughs> we, we can stop there if yeah. you like. That's all, all we need. <laughs> so, Peter, the Phantom then gets introduced in, in 1968. The Daily Mail then announced that they're going to stage this air race to commemorate the 50th anniversary of Alcock and Brown's first ever transatlantic flight. And they think this is a great opportunity to, to show off the Phantom. So what was the first thing then that, that you then did? It, it was working out these fuel rates, was it, going down the, uh, going down the seven well, pretty we, much? We, worked, we went through a whole host of things that you could do, Rob. You, could you do it on just using our own people, our own buccaneers to tank us and something in the middle? Because you actually need somewhere to land in case you can't tank. Mm. So we suddenly quickly knocked out the fact we hadn't got a lot of carriers. We could sprinkle along the route. And we hadn't got a lot of tankers in the Navy. Yeah. So that reduced the options. And we very quickly came down to working with the Air Force of, with only three refueling stops and one subsonic and two supersonic legs. Mm. That way we could get a reasonable speed out of the thing. Because the original plan had been to have five tanker stops, wasn't it? And, and go supersonic on, on all of the stages. Is that right? It, it would have been, but it wouldn't have been really any quicker Interesting. What we did in the end, by the time they'd flown out of uh, America and had to flow back in the UK, which all had to be subsonic. So this way, we're almost as fast. Mm. And you're obviously fairly reliant on the the RAF. Um, <laughs> Here we go. Was there, was there any sort of, <laughs> were you ever worried that they could scupper your plans or that they could um, not play? No, no, it, it worked well because they, the Air Force were already doing planning tanking for the Harriers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's a matter of actually trying to work out. The things we did have to do is work out how we uh, met up with them to refuel when we were doing uh, 1,200 miles an hour. Yeah. And they were doing 300 miles an hour. <laughs> and in fact, on one of our legs, they missed each other. Yes. It took them quite a long while to turn around and come back and get them. So it was... Uh, Is that right? That, that crew actually saw the victor going in the opposite direction a couple of miles away because it was coming out to meet them. Yes. They did it. And Al Hickling suddenly saw it going past his window. Yeah. <laughs> I read I read about that yesterday and it really made me laugh. I thought it was absolutely brilliant. <laughs> well, that scuppered their chances. But James's point about the RAF would would have been in a very strong position to scupper the Royal Navy's chances. Obviously, you know, um, there's a lot of animosity between the two. No, there isn't. <laughs> and because obviously they had their own teams racing, as you say, the Harriers, they also had a, a Victor actually as a race aircraft as well. So, yeah, But they were obviously very supportive of you. They were. In fact, as far as the aircrew went, there was no problem at all. In fact, bear in mind, there were different categories. We were in supersonic category yeah. and they were in the subsonic category. So we weren't directly competing. 
Ah, right. So provided they had enough tankers, uh, it actually worked out very well. Because yeah. uh, be honest, the Harrier was almost plugged in all the time mm. going over because it had very short legs for that yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, so it, it was it worked out well, and we're at both ends. We very much worked as a team working together, the Harrier crews and the Phantom crews. Yeah. And so there, it was it was good experience. That's really that's great to hear, actually. Am I right in saying that one of the RAF victors actually had Fly Navy in bright yellow letters on the side of that, the fuselage? That was the one that we were running. We, we, we flew last. We flew on the Sunday. Mm-hmm. Yes. We came up to this tanker over Newfoundland, Mm-hmm. And there was a great big blue fly navy side down the left side of the airplane. <laughs> I have to say, yeah, the airplane, I have to say that the air crew weren't well received at their base. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they weren't. I mean, that's almost unbelievable. Fact, I shouldn't say that, but it bit passed. <laughs> yeah, oh, I think that's superb. Pe- Peter, aside from the fact that obviously, you know, it's quite serious looking for refueling and all the sort of other stuff that goes with flying a supersonic jet. Was it enormous fun taking part in this race? Because it sounds like a proper boy's own story. And <laughs> if any one of us could have had that, even a sniff of doing it or seeing it, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. we would have jumped at the chance. It yeah. must have been enormous fun, wasn't it? It, it was. It was a bit hair-raising, but it was great fun. There was an awful lot of work in, going on in the background yeah. of all the planners at both ends. Um, but to actually do it at the end of the day, you know, we, we finally flew a year after the first thoughts, mm. and it was good to bring it to fruition. Yeah. And you were, So you were the person who basically clocked in yourself at the top of the – or clocked out at the top of the Empire State Building. Then you – can you explain your journey from the to top yeah. of the Empire State Building to the, the top, to top a of the Empire State Building at eight o'clock in the morning? So that mm-hmm. was the Navy. I think the, the Air Force went later in the day because <laughs> they need to get so up. Having later. breakfast. <laughs> um, so you clocked in at the top of the Empire State Building. You whipped down as quickly as you could, and there was some interesting dirty play on the lifts of people <laughs> trying to punch all the buttons. No. <laughs> get down. Uh, out onto a motorbike. Uh, mm-hmm. and down to a helipad nearby. The American Navy uh, choppered us to the airfield, which was Floyd Bennett Naval Air Station, and you literally parked at the end of the aircraft, at the, just behind the airplane, and there was a ramp to run up and was just it, jump sorry, in. Was that in a Wessex? The airplane took off. So then we did the three legs with a, a tanking at the end of each leg. The first leg was mainly subsonic with a bit of supersonic at the end. The second leg was all supersonic from Newfoundland. And then we got into the middle where you had to do about 1,200 miles where you could only go subsonic across the bulk of the Atlantic. And then once you joined up with the last tanker, it was let it all hang out because you go (laughs) as fast as you could until you get to within 30 miles of the UK coast. So we're doing Mark 1.6, something like that, up to the coast. And then... You just dropped the nose and you just kept just subsonic straight into Wisley Airport. Wow. And then again, you leapt out of the aeroplane. This is me. Mm-hmm. Uh, a helicopter was there and it took us to a building site right next to the tower. And then the real tough bit, the 100 yards to get up to the top <laughs> of the tower. <laughs> and, then, and then, as I was told, don't forget to clock in. And yeah. I did. Yeah. And so somebody, over here, over here. <laughs> <laughs> 
But um, I might have got 10 seconds fast if I'd been. If oh, I'd been well, away. you still won by a oh. mile. Yeah, what was the next? The, the, who came second? Um, Hugh Drake and Al Hickling came second. The first, the other first phantom, team, one of the yeah. other phantoms. First team yeah. did about five and a half hours, and then it was about five hours twenty, and we were five hours ten. So we knocked off ten minutes or so every right. trip. That's amazing, isn't it? Because <clears throat> of your three teams, the crew from the first team to have gone flew back out. Am I right? By scheduled airline yeah. to New York, as did the second to brief the second team. Yeah. And then the second team also flew back to New York to brief no, you. Was, oh, they didn't. No, only the first team flew back because okay. we hadn't got many people out there. Mm. So the first team became the sort of runners and riders for the uh, the last team. That's amazing. So did, did you kind of feel that going third, although I know I think you were, the, the weather was a bit touch and go, but did you feel that going third was actually the best leg to fly because – you know, oh, we'd have won on any of the legs, but no. Oh, <laughs> this, is, this is fighting talk. I love it. <laughs> no, it, it, it was really hinged. The bulk of the thing hinged on the wind. Mm. And uh, the, the second one had the best wind. Because yeah. on our leg, we had, whilst we had a good wind on the last leg, in the middle, we had a beam wind. So there was no wind advantage at all. Mm, right. So and I think the CO was quite happy to see the others go first. And, and then finish up last. Did you manage to get into into a jet stream across the Atlantic? We did. We we got into a jet stream on the third leg. Right. We were going up and down ten or fifteen thousand feet. Yeah. Uh, to actually pick up the best wind or the coldest bit. So it was uh, it was it was interesting. And obviously, go on, go on, go on. these were pre GPS days, pre INS days. Did you have some sort of inertial navigation system, or was this no? This was it was all... it was direct navigation. The only thing we had which was useful is. Both the Phantom and the Vix and the Vic and the Phantom and the uh, and uh, what am I thinking of the Victor, Victor. had uh, a system where you could get a bearing and a distance from each other. Right. Um, it worked most of the time, but it's relatively new. But other than that, nothing. Because right. you were the navigator, Peter, so you really had your work cut out to make sure that these rendezvous with the Victors happened. I've read something about a piece of string being strung. A Across the cockpit camp canopy, <laughs> so when the sun struck this piece of string and its shadow fell at some point on the on the control dashboard, is that right? You're in the. Am I making this yeah. up? Is this I, did, I didn't. It was only in one aeroplane. It wasn't mine. <laughs> <laughs> only the Brits would come up yeah. with a bit. They did Apparently it for the Dambusters, well. and then yeah. they can do it for this. Yeah, Peter, I'm, I'm intrigued to. to uh, to ask what um, what did the Americans make of this? Because I don't know if the, how many American entries there were. There I know there were, there were a couple, but there weren't there weren't any uh, of the services. I've got to remember the Americans were in the Vietnam War at this yeah. point, mm, cool. so it would it would have been seen as a sort of bit of a lightweight thing when there were a lot of people being lost. Mm. So, but they had an aeroplane um, which could actually go straight across the Atlantic at Mark Three. From coast to coast, the Air Force. Was that the Blackbird? Um, sorry? Was that the, the Blackbird? Blackbird, yeah. Yeah. And so it was they if they'd gone in with it, they'd, they'd have won. Yeah. Uh, without any doubt. Yeah. Uh, so but they really couldn't participate with the war going on. Mm. But do you think it captured the sort of general public's imagination at all? Did they were they slightly bemused to see? You mean in America or here? Uh, well, in the, I know I'm sure it did here. No, I was thinking more in the states. Do you think it? 
the states like the states or it's wonderful only the brits could do something like yes. this mm. yeah. <laughs> yeah. and of course this is where the harrier really impressed them when it came in and did its vertical landings and what have you so there was there was good good for each and when you think that the uh, marines then bought the harrier it Mm-hmm. Makes you wonder how much they got from that. Yeah. I mean, because the Harrier was brand new. I mean, it wasn't even, I don't think it even properly entered service with the RAF at this stage. Whereas the Phantom, certainly in American terms, had been round, I think I'm right in saying, since the end of the 1950s. But obviously, it was new to the Royal Navy and the Royal yeah. Air Force. So the Harrier sort of stole the limelight a bit, didn't it? From your and fabulous why not? And why not? You know, it's, it's, it was a fantastic thing. We, uh, We'd seen it several times before, mm. but it was good to see it. Yeah. Um, it, it. As I said, it hadn't got very long legs, no. so it's a bit of a phony really doing it, but just to... <laughs> just you to gave with one hand pub- and took away with the other. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, published, the published it was good, yeah. Yeah. as I'm sure James will know. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It's all about what you're seen to do, not what you do. Is that uh, right? <laughs> We'd have done it with a helicopter if we had one that could do it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Still be doing it now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> James is fine. Uh, how, how, you were saying when you went over that one of the sections you weren't supersonic. Why, why weren't you supersonic? Yeah, the first leg was mainly over land where we couldn't be supersonic. Right. So it's only when we came out um, at Nova Scotia, yep. when we're over the sea, we go supersonic. And how high how high were you flying? Um, somewhere below fifty thousand feet. We were mainly around about the forty five thousand feet. Right, and 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 how fast did you manage to? Was it was it full throttle? It was uh, full throttle, but it was wasn't really cold enough to go sort of Mark two. Right, we were doing about Mark one point six, twelve hundred miles an hour. Wow. And do, do you remember the the fastest ground speed you managed to? Achieve at all? Um, no, but I could do a quick calculation if you give me two minutes. I'll scratch my brain. <laughs> this, is, this is a navigator. You can see he's already thinking about it. it it's, it's, a pilot it's would about, just lie. <laughs> in, in, in ground speed, that's about uh, 1,100 miles an hour. Oh, very wow. good. Wow. And your pilot was um, Brian Davis, who I think was the CO, CO of 892 Squadron, wasn't he? He was, Rob, yeah, he was. And uh, he, he was the main driver behind it once once it got underway. Yeah. He did a good job for you, did he, sitting in front he of you? He did a fantastic job. <laughs> yeah, he's a great CO. Tell me about the, the approach into Wisley as I was trying to do my maths lesson at that stage um, <laughs> in my neighbouring school. When you say you went straight in, do you mean you came in from the west or would you yeah. have actually... You did. You came in from the west. We came in. We came in straight from the west country, and headed straight for the runway, which was again quite interesting because there were no uh, no um, information we had on Wisley. So it's more by seeing it or trying to get some radar control until we were within five or six miles. Goodness! So you landed on the on the east west runway. You're on the east runway one zero. In fact, as it was. I yeah, remember. it's just there's a school just on the left. You can see, <laughs> just on the right, actually. <laughs> oh, you came the wrong way. <laughs> 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 
honestly, it was so exciting for people who lived in that area. I mean, it was a week of noise, just jets everywhere, because there were loads of VC-10s going in and out of there, which we were used to, because that's where Vickers, or then by that stage, uh, British Aerospace, or BAC, actually, yeah, were testing the VC-10s there. But the RAF 10 Squadron had a competing VC-10 flying out of there. The Victors were going out of there. Your fandoms were coming in there and bursting their tyres. I mean, it was just... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> it was thrilling, not to mention the wild flying of, of the Wessex helicopters. I mean, it was so dramatic. I mean, the, the, this is from the footage I've subsequently seen. Right. It didn't, it didn't detract from your learning curve, Rob? Totally. I, I haven't passed an exam since, but, I, you know, to, to have witnessed some of that was thrilling. But, Peter, what about your own fitness for doing the running leg and leaping in and out of the Phantom? Um, what sort of training, if any... Did you do for that? <laughs> not a, not one awful lot. We were all quite <laughs> we were quite reasonably fit. So, oh, right. uh, and it was never an extended distance to do. So a hundred yards, I think I could even still manage that now. <laughs> but you did better than us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and if there's one common theme with all our podcasts is what do you do for the loo? I mean, did <laughs> oh. you um, did you manage to keep it all in for the for the journey, or were you uh, did you have to stop? No, quick? It, no difficulty there, James. The navy can hang on to it for twelve hours. <laughs> oh, this is this is this is this is brilliant. This is gold dust. <laughs> <laughs> this is, this is... Oh, that's fantastic. That is brilliant. So after you after you won, you became quite famous because there seemed to be. I've been watching some of the documentaries on it on YouTube. And it, it was huge, wasn't yeah. it? Well, it, it for a little while, Roy. It, it, it actually it was a, a bit of a bubble, and it lasted for a, a couple of months, yeah. and then things went back to normal. So it was, uh, but it was fun, and it was there was a lot of people uh, that loved the idea. I mean, mm. non-aviators who loved the idea of it. Mm-hmm. There were a few people that said you're wasting money, but that's uh, to be expected. Of yeah. course, and in fact, what, what the BBC I think were doing, and they advertised it as a colour update because colour television was quite new at this stage, and um, <laughs> so they were doing a daily update, I think, about the air race. And I know C- Cliff Mitchellmore, who's presenting that, I think interviewed you when you'd won, didn't he? Live, he did, he did, he did indeed. And in fact, uh, all of us got interviewed, and there was always the top of the tower was about as full as it's probably ever been. Mm. Um, GPO Tower. It's, uh, so there were a lot of uh, likes of you up there. <laughs> you, you, you couldn't move too far without a microphone stuck in your teeth. No, quite right. <laughs> quite right. <laughs> and what what was the party like? Yes, that night. There was well, there was a bit of partying that night, but yep. there was it, it was a couple of days later when really everyone had got back that the parties really started. Mm-hmm. Um, that was great, and. Uh, Rolls Royce and Vickers really did us proud, and they um, they put on a big dinner. And we were pulled through the crowds of London uh, oh. on the back of a, a, a sort of dog sled. Yes, I've sailor. seen that. Yeah. I've never I've never felt so embarrassed in my life. <laughs> <laughs> and so, two months down the line, the, it all fades out. What, what did you get up to then? Did it change your your life, or we just get back to operating on a naval uh, squadron and um, and back to, back to how you were before. No, it was it's back to business because we really had to get the squadron really started, fully worked up now to go on board. So yeah. we really had to set that pass as a thing that had happened. Uh, great, and uh, now back to business. Yeah. And do you think if it happened now, 
it would be uh, what sort of times do you think would be possible um well i don't know concord's gone now so yes. uh, i think the times won't have changed very much mm. isn't that interesting i think i think as rob said at the start uh, it was a one-off thing for then mm. and i think it'd be very difficult to see it done today i'm not sure publicity would allow it quite that much mm-hmm. i think there's a, a bit more anti anything other than exactly what we should be doing as the services Right. Yeah, it, it. I mean, it was of its time, wasn't it? And I think it probably it was. was one of the last great aviation adventures, as I said earlier. And I mean, if you watch the footage, I don't know if you've seen the GPO film that they made about it recently, um, Peter, but it, it is also so beautifully dated in the way it's crafted that the the commentary that goes with it and the background music, I mean, the whole thing is just a, an absolute thrill and a joy to watch. No, it's lovely. I haven't seen that. Yes. Oh, you've you not seen you it. Oh, my goodness. I've watched yeah. it. Uh, I think you sent through the link, Rob, yeah. a couple of months ago, and I watched it twice. Yeah, I watched it twice last night. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is absolutely brilliant. We'll have to send you the link. We my kids watched it, and they're 12 and 10. They absolutely loved it. <laughs> yeah. they, they, they couldn't believe the amount of stuff that was happening and how exciting it was. Genuinely, and they're not impressed by anything, these kids anymore. <laughs> so they thought it was terrific. <laughs> Peter, I, was gonna... right, Rob, I think it was of its day, and therefore yes. you have to leave it in that day mm. to try and re- redo it. I think it wouldn't fall quite as easily. No, I think you're right. Well, also just the number of aircraft types that are available. Mm. Yeah, yeah the, the the dear old Victor, which I've never seen fly and would oh. love to. I would quite like to have uh, to have been a Vulcan. Um, I'm disappointed there wasn't a Vulcan flying. <laughs> I'm sure yeah. that could have done us justice, but. That would have been good. Yeah. yeah. Peter, can you remember who you received your winning certificate from? Um, I received it, I'm trying to think. I received one at the dinner yeah. hosted by Rolls-Royce. Yes. And Vickers. And that's where I got the cheque, or two oh, cheques. Oh, oh. Che- well, one for you and one for the Navy. Uh, there were two cheques given to me, and I held them for at least 10 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> Before, and are we talking multi you got them multi millions here or just in the high millions? Uh, it, it was six thousand, one thousand pounds. I remember was it really? exactly. Yeah. And it that's quite a lot of money now. From me straight into some charity in the Royal Navy. Oh, brilliant! brilliant. But Fantastic. you were the winner, not the Royal Navy. You are the person that goes. It's, it's Lieutenant Commander Peter Goddard, <laughs> winner of the Vickers Orcock and Brown Trophy. I am, yes. Yeah, but you didn't um, get the money. <laughs> I, I wish you'd been there, Rob, because I got the trophy, but I didn't get the money. <laughs> Let me tell you who presented you with the certificate. Who it was, was former Fleet Air Arm pilot Simon Ames. Simon Ames, you're quite right. Do you want to hear something about Simon Ames? Yes. My brother used to go out with his daughter. <laughs> That's that pretty much his reaction. That's pretty, <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty much her reaction as well, wasn't it? Would you, would you like to take that further, Jess? <laughs> uh, knowing what the others already know, absolutely not. Oh. Uh, but thank you, Peter, for asking. Discretion being the better part of valour. <laughs> no, actually, I met Simon Ames at uh, when they did a, re- uh, a thing for the Harrier. Yes. Um, a little while ago, and he was there at that one. Was Lo- it the lovely 50th bloke. anniversary at Brooklands? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Tom Leckie Thompson was there, wasn't he? Graham Williams. He was. He was going to be coming yes. on the podcast, I'm delighted to say. Yes. Yes. Lovely good. Yeah. Are, are you good still... to hear the other side. Yes, isn't it? Are you still involved in aviation? Are you still... No, I'm not. 
I'm way, way beyond that. I, unless I get a walker out and fly on that, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm past that stage now, James. Oh, I don't know. I've flown with some captains younger, slightly older than you, I think. Peter, you've sent me some wonderful photographs of this event, which we will put up on our various social media platforms. One of them is you being kissed by your gorgeous wife, Colleen, on your arrival as the winner. You did extremely well there, by the way. Well done. I'm talking about your wife. No, thank you. <laughs> You've probably seen them. <laughs> you mean, I'll tell her that. She'll be pleased yeah. to hear it. If only she felt the same. <laughs> yeah. well, Peter, Peter, going back to the flying just for a second, did, was it uh, a trouble-free journey? Was it, did it, were there any dramas, problems on the way, uh, mechanical issues? Uh, I, I don't think there are any big ones. Rolls-Royce certainly had their fingers crossed because mm. those afterburners have never, ever been used as long as that before. And uh, when we were actually walking around Rolls-Royce, the chap said, I, I'm, I'm not sure these burners are going to last this long. <laughs> we, they used them a 10-minute 10 10 minute burst and we'd had them going for hours. Goodness. Yeah. Was this the Rolls-Royce, was it the Spey you were using? This is the Spey. It was yeah. the first time with the jet with the uh, afterburner on it and uh, they hadn't actually run it for very long right? and the americans didn't use the rolls-royce version on their family they didn't no they had their own, had their yeah. own. oh peter it's it's i've been so excited about this story <laughs> for so so long and to have actually spoken to the winner <laughs> of the 1969 great daily mail transatlantic air race i honestly is just <laughs> stunning fantastic Thank you so what much. A lovely, what a lovely line, Rob. I well, thank you. I, I wrote it down earlier. No, no, that's actually that's, that's totally from the heart. And it really is. It's so good to talk to you. Yeah, thank you so much. Well, I mean, it is. I'm glad we got through. As you say, it's one of those things that will never be repeated. And yeah. um, it's, it's history. It's aviation history. Yeah. Uh, and mythology yeah. almost. Yeah, your yeah. name is engraved in aviation history, Peter. <laughs> it will never go. Yeah. How, how long did you carry on in the navy for, Peter? After, after I left in '86. Wow. Gosh, uh, a little bit longer than that. And was that carrying on flying for most of that? No, I, I stopped flying in '72. Right. Not long after that, um, in the navy. Hang on, I just got to get rid of something. In the navy, you've uh, you can only be at a certain level of seniority to fly. Yeah. And if you get promoted beyond that, you have to come out of flying. And you go to a desk job? Not always. No, you can go on a carrier or you oh. not to fly, but you. a lot of it's desk job. Mine was a couple of times at sea in a ship, which is good. Was it? Because you ended up as a, as a captain, didn't you? A Royal Navy captain. I did. Wow. Amazing. Were you commanding a vessel? Yes. So that's I what captains do, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, this is an aviation Sorry. podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I have to be careful how I answer this one. Yes, on. I had Cavalier for a while. Oh. It's a destroyer. Wow. Oh, which one? Cavalier. Cavalier. It's now in Chatham. Is it? Is it? It's, oh. it's been restored and in a dock in, in Chatham. Oh, oh do you ever go and visit it? Because you're, you're Kent-based, aren't you? I am Kent based. I've been up there a couple of times, but uh, I've seen it for quite a long time. Oh, <laughs> yes. wow. yeah. oh, can we go and meet you there one day? That would just be great. You can. Oh, thanks. Lovely. Great. Done.
Thank you so much, Peter. This has really been amazing. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I've, I've enjoyed it. It's probably a rather different uh, podcast from what you normally get, but I've enjoyed it. Oh, no. Oh, oh, they're, all, they're all different, yeah. which is what's We just so love great, good but... stories, and this is a brilliant story. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Peter, I looked at a couple of yours, and I like them. Oh, oh thank you. Can we use that in all our publicity? Yeah, yeah. Peter Goddard says. Peter, many thanks. You're an absolute legend. Thank you so much. Thanks. Thank you, Peter. Well, thanks, Peter. Well, thank you, gentlemen. Nice to see you. Take, Take care. care. Good luck. Bye-bye. Good luck. Bye. <laughs>